I'm going to talk to you tonight about one of my favorite themes, namely mental prayer. Uh, I'm going to indicate why I think it's important, why I think it's pivotal to the Christian life. Um, I'm also going to, in particular, as the title indicates, focus on St. Teresa of Avila. Um, so that's drawing on the Carmelite tradition, but the Carmelite tradition being so foundational, so broad in the church and its influence, that it's really not just a Carmelite thing. Um, I'm aware I'm giving this talk in Lent, so you know what are the three remedies for sin that we focus on in Lent? Prayer, fasting, and almsgiving. So I'm hoping we've made the timing of this so that it can kind of help you um, examine what you do as your prayer component with Lent. Um, maybe within this talk, think about what you do in terms of this thing I'm gonna call mental prayer, but also I'm gonna try and give you some guidance on how to do that as well. So what mental prayer is, how to do it better, uh, and particular looking at Teresa of Avila. So let me start with an introductory question. Um, and put to you the question, what is the most important prayer? If you were to think, try and answer that question, what is the most important prayer? You might say the Mass, that the Mass is the prayer of Christ, the perfect prayer of him hanging on the cross, made present there in the Mass. You might say differently that the most important prayer is the prayer that Christ himself taught us, the Lord's Prayer. But what I'm going to try and articulate to you tonight is that the most important prayer, subjectively speaking, is your mental prayer. That if you go to Mass, but you don't have a spirit of mental prayer within you, then it's just empty words. If you say the Lord's Prayer a thousand times a day, but without a spirit of mental prayer, it's just empty words. So in many ways, subjectively speaking, this thing I'm going to be talking about tonight, mental prayer, is your most important prayer. So, let's try and explain what I'm talking about to begin with, with an introductory distinction between vocal prayer and mental prayer. And this in particular is where I'm picking up on the terminology of St. Teresa of Avila. What, do, what does she mean when she uses these two phrases? Well, vocal prayer kind of obviously is the stuff you say. So your rosaries, your litanies. Uh, if you say the breviary, then when you're reciting the breviary. All those things that are kind of set prayers that are given to you by someone else. When you say those, those are all your vocal prayers. Mental prayer, in contrast, isn't a recited prayer, isn't a prayer you were given, it's just that intimate prayer, that personal prayer. So Teresa of Avila defines it like this. She says, mental prayer is nothing else than an intimate friendship, a frequent heart-to-heart -heart conversation with him by whom we know ourselves to be loved. There it is on the screen. Mental prayer is nothing else than an intimate friendship, a frequent heart-to-heart -heart conversation 
with him by whom we know ourselves to be loved. And that kind of means pretty obviously that if you're saying a vocal prayer properly, it becomes a mental prayer. If you say the Our Father properly, then it does involve your mind, yeah? Similarly, when you go to Mass, if you engage with the Mass properly, then that is a mental prayer as well. But she's making this distinction to note that there needs to be this kind of distinct, separate, personal, intimate parts of our prayer that she uses this, this label mental prayer. Now, if you look in the Catechism and look in the index for the section on mental prayer, um, you won't find one. The Catechism uses a different terminology. The Catechism uses the term contemplative prayer. So all of the bits of the tradition, including Teresa of Avila, that are very much there in the Catechism, are using a different term, contemplative prayer. And the Catechism does that, as I'll kind of indicate through this talk, because contemplation is the ultimate goal of mental prayer. That focusing of all our powers in contemplating him, that's where our mental prayer is ultimately heading. So to indicate that, the Catechism uses the phrase contemplative prayer in speaking about this. So there is in the tradition a variety of different terms describing the same thing. You know, when you read the saints, it's always important to know which saint is saying what. Um, so sometimes the saints seem to disagree because they're using different terminology. And of course, sometimes the saints do disagree. That, um, they are different. Um, they are emphasizing sometimes different points. Um, but my point here is that just there are some different bits of terminology in the tradition. Another term some of you might have heard is what's called daily meditation. So the type of mental prayer that a beginner, shall we say, to use the categories of a beginner like myself, how do I make my mental prayer? I, I have a thing, I have a topic that I meditate on each day. That each day I have a kind of particular thing. I might have a gospel passage and I'm thinking about the transfiguration and I'm pondering it in my intellect, I'm playing with it, I'm contemplating it, I'm meditating on it. And so one of the terms used in, by many of the saints is your daily meditation. And as I describe method in this, um, the use of the word meditation will probably make sense, that, what, why that term is used. Okay, so. Okay, I want to kind of next point. Why should we do this in a systematic way? So I'm guessing all of us do bits of what I've called mental prayer. Why should we do this in a special way, in a focused way, a systematic way? Um, and before I went to seminary, I was a reasonably pious young man. I would fairly frequently go into the chapel in my um, local chaplaincy at my university and 
Um, I give an hour here and an hour there. But it's all a bit sporadic and disorganized. In the tradition, there's huge value put. If this mental prayer thing is important, it needs to be regular. That I need to have every day I commit myself. This is a valuable thing. This is a thing I'm going to do. It's a thing I'm going to do every day. And therefore, with that, to commit myself, how much time am I going to give to it every day? You know, those of you that work out in the gym, I imagine you have a time you give to that each week, days of the week. If something's important to you, if you want to build it into your life, you plan how long you're going to give to it. And the best way to do that is to have a time of day each day that you stick to. Um, just because we are creatures of habit, um, we get things done if we have a time we give to it. But beyond the system of giving it a time and a time of day, there's a way of praying that I want to try and introduce you to tonight if you've not come across this before. A method. So how do you stop your prayer decaying into distractions? Yeah, that you go to the chapel, you've decided you're going to give the Lord a chunk of time there, do this mental prayer thing that you heard somebody talk about. How do you stop that within 30 seconds, meandering into all kinds of distraction? Well, a method is one of the ways we stop that. A method, one of its primary purposes, is to help you know how to combat distractions, what to do when you encounter distractions. And then even beyond that, what a method does is it helps direct all of our activity towards its goal, that there's a purpose in mental prayer what is that purpose? How do we get there? Well, the method of mental prayer, followed by Teresa of Avila, gets us to that goal. Okay, so here's a little schematic. Um, those of you that like your philosophy, we're going to do a bit of philosophy here. Going to try and articulate but there at the top, contemplation fosters love. Yeah, what does the Lord tell us we're for? We're for love. Um, what's the greatest commandment? To love. I want to love more. How do I love more? St. Thomas says, contemplation fosters love. So in my will, my will commands my intellect to think about something. My intellect then grasps some truth. And in that grasping of the truth, a delight is experienced. That my intellect is made to grasp truth. And when it does, it is fulfilled. And it, there's this thing within me, ah, I get a delight. And that delight rebounds back into the will and I grow in the love of the thing I've contemplated. Let me take a simple example. John Paul, I asked him what was the screen, the, the lock screen on his phone. Um, so he's shopping in Walmart 
And as he's wandering around Walmart, he picks out his phone and he looks at it. In the lock screen, what does he see? He sees his fiancée. Yeah. He sees her. He remembers her. His intellect thinks of her, ponders her, is inflamed yet again of her. And his will grows in love for her. His will also in seeing her remembers that she said, get mint chocolate chip ice cream. <laughs> yeah. And so he resolves, yes, she who I see, she who I remember, she who I love, she who I recommit myself in love to, I'm going to get what she told me to get, I'm going to get the mint chocolate chip ice cream. Yeah. Our meditation, our contemplation, should flow out into activity. So one of the things I will talk about in the method is resolutions that we should make in our prayer that flow out of that same pattern. Seeing him, contemplating him, action flows out of that. So that my prayer doesn't just become a thing in the chapel, but my prayer becomes a thing that then flows out into my life. Now, Kalina is lovely, but she is not as lovely as God. If contemplating Kalina fills John Paul's heart, contemplating the greatest good is an even greater contemplation, an even greater delight to be inflamed in the will. Now, St. Thomas notes it's a more subtle delight. It's not usually an immediate delight in the way that many of our sensory pleasures give us delights. But because it is the greatest good, it is therefore the greatest delight. And so contemplating the higher goods, the highest good, inflames me with the greatest, uh, greatest love. So I contemplate God the greatest good. I contemplate also things as they relate to God. So, you know, God kind of in himself, in his ineffableness, his holy, holy, holiness, is a bit hard to grasp directly. So in our contemplation, in our meditation, we typically take things of God that as we contemplate them, as we ponder them, as we talk to God about them, lead us to him. So sometimes in our prayer we are directly contemplating God, but also we contemplate the things, things of God. So I might contemplate humility. Humility is not God. But as I contemplate humility, as I talk to God about humility, as I ponder what humility is, it's a thing in relation to him and is one of those things I take to prayer, make a thing of prayer, is part of leading me to him. Okay, so all of that is kind of a long introduction explaining the general thing of what I'm talking about tonight. Contemplation, 
how that relates to love, love being the ultimate goal, what we're here for. Contemplation makes us grow in that. Sorry, that's, I didn't have a picture of John Paul, but that's as, as close <laughs> as we get there. Image of Teresa of Avila, similarly directly contemplating the Lord, contemplate the highest good filled with the highest love because he gives the greatest delight, even if it's more subtle. Okay, I'm now going to come to the, in a sense, the heart of my talk, um, how to do this. So I've kind of talked about what mental prayer is and why it's important. How are we going to do that? Well, we're going to have a method, but why? Why do we want to have a method? Well, let me make a comparison and compare this method to being an agenda for a meeting. So if you go to have a meeting with somebody really important, you plan what you're going to say. You're going to go see the president of the university and you don't get to see him easily. Um, you've made your appointment, you somehow got some... What are you going to say in that time you've been allotted? You're going to plan what you're going to say. You've got an agenda for that meeting because it's important. Well, similarly with the Lord, you're putting aside a chunk of time to talk to him, to dedicate to him. You want to use that time well. So a method is a bit like having an agenda for an important meeting. Another point about method, that there's a variety of methods. So if you read the saints about, already noted that they use different terminology, contemplative prayer, mental prayer, meditation, they also have different methods. So if you follow um, St. Ignatius of Loyola, um, the Ignatian method will focus a lot on the imagination. So if you're going to take the crucifix as your thing for your mental prayers, your concept, your topic for today, the Ignatian method will use your imagination a lot in the intellect playing with that, so to speak. St. Teresa of Avila, in contrast, uh, uses a method that would frequently be called a discursive method. She would be more focused on why something happened, what happened, um, questions of meaning rather than imagination. So different saints have methods that are are varied and some of those methods are more suited for different personalities. Um, my background before seminary was scientific. I don't have much of an imagination. I'm a rather unexciting scientist. Um, but I do like contemplating the meaning of things and the purpose of things. So the, the St. Teresa of Avila method fits me kind of as my personality better. You might benefit more by the methodology of St. Ignatius, which actually I'm going to outline here as well, even though I'm making my focus here, St. Teresa of Avila. But the point I wait before I kind of go into any specifics is just the saints have different methods. And it's good for us 
to briefly getting um, exposed to those different methods to see which method works for me. Because it will depend on a bit your personality, a bit, so I'm an old man, I'm 51 years old. Um, over the years, some methods have worked for me for a while, and then I kind of become a slightly different person, and another method for a while works. So it's good to look at different saints for different methods, and their different focuses. Okay, there's a slight jog in the um, screen uh, formatting. But so terminology, the word meditation. So I've already mentioned um, this word meditation being one word used in the tradition. That's what I'm going to focus on kind of next. I'm pondering something. I'm thinking about something. I'm reflecting on something. I'm meditating on it. So I stir up my intellect, I engage my will, I inflame my passions. All with respect to God and with respect to things of God. And the different methods, whether it's Saint Ignatius or Saint Teresa of Avila, they all have a method that interplays between these two things, the intellect, the will and the passions. So if St. Ignatius is using his imagination, which is part of the intellect, to consider the crucifix. He's doing that to inflame the passions, to engage the will. If Teresa of Avila is considering discursively what happened when the Lord died on the cross, again, she's doing it to engage the intellect, to inflame the passions to stir up um, the intellect. Okay, next little thought. Why are we doing all this? Well, I mentioned already distractions is one of the reasons it's important to have a method. So I go to prayer, I'm there, I'm as a priest, there before the tabernacle, and I'm saying, Lord, I'm a priest. I thank you that you've made me a priest. I ask that you make me a better priest. I want to be a good priest. I want to be a super priest. I want to be super priest. And, and before you know it, in less than 30 seconds, I've gone from praying to imagining whether super priest has x-ray vision or and I'm wondering what outfit Super Priest has. Um, <laughs> the, the distractions come to me really easily when I pray. Even when I'm starting about a good thing, you know, St. Thomas Aquinas, he says, the mind cannot long be held up in lofty things. It drifts down. Um, so one of the reasons we have a method is to help stop us just decaying in distractions. So what do you do when you're distracted in your mental prayer? Well, I'll explain to you the steps of the method, but basically every time I'm in the chapel and I've reached that stage where I'm imagining what my outfit as super priest is going to be, um, I don't, don't panic. 
I don't get angry with myself. I just go back to the method. Method, I remember that God is real. I remember that God is here. I remember what is my topic that I'm talking with the Lord about. And I start talking to him about it again. I just come back to the method, start going back through the steps again. And those steps take me away from my distraction, back to the thing, um, contemplating, meditating on with the Lord. Okay, a topic. So the last thing I want to articulate before I kind of talk you through the steps of the method it's just the point of the need, if you're going to do regular mental prayer, to always have a topic that you're meditating on. So if you don't have a topic you're meditating on, you're almost instantly going to wander onto your favorite distraction. You're going to wander onto your favorite pet peeve. You're going to wander onto that so-and-so that's annoying you yet again. Um, The methods, so you can buy collections of meditations and they have meditations for each day. And the notion is that you have a different topic every day that you bring to your mental prayer. That is your daily meditation, your meditation for that day. And the most standard source for those topics is the Gospels is the scenes in the Gospels. Um, that I have some event that happened in the Gospels and that's what I'm going to make as the topic of my prayer today. That's what I'm going to contemplate, meditate on, talk to the Lord about. And this means, Teresa Avila notes, were particularly focused on the humanity of Christ. And she notes, she's arguing against an era of her own day that said that the super elevated people, the super saints, they no longer need to think about the humanity of Christ and they're up in the divinity. Um, and we have a bit of that resurgent in our day with interest in Eastern meditation techniques where, you know, the East is all about the emptying of the mind, whereas the West is about the filling of it with Christ. So Teresa of Avila says that the humanity of Christ, you never reach a stage as a human being where you move beyond that. The humanity of Christ is always the gateway for you to get to the divinity. So to quote her, she says, however spiritual you are, you must not flee so completely from corporeal things as to think that meditation on the most sacred humanity can actually harm you. That the humanity is always the gateway to the divinity. This is why he took flesh. He has shown us himself. We meditate in particular on the scenes in the Gospels because these are the most immediate way that we, we meet him. And obviously this holds more broadly with all of the scriptures. You know, it's more difficult to meditate on Leviticus 
and meet the Lord there, but you can. Um, so we're not wanting to empty the mind so that the, the super spiritual people have emptied their minds and are there thinking of nothing. No, we're wanting to fill the mind with the Lord. Fill the mind with the Lord so that the heart will be filled with him and love him. And we fill the mind by having, among other things, a topic for our meditation each day. Okay, so now I'm moving where this is all ultimately heading what is the method I'm going to propose to you? Um, and there are four steps to it. Uh, I've rephrased them slightly so that they all start with a C to try and make it easier to remember. Concentration, consideration, conversation, and conclusion. So first, you get there to the chapel or you're in your room and you're in a quiet moment, a silent moment, a you need to concentrate. If you don't concentrate, what happens? You know, many, many times I get to the chapel and I kind of rush past this stage. And what happens? I immediately end up in distractions. I need to focus myself. Remember, he is real. He is here. He does love me. He is thinking about me. This topic that I'm considering today, it relates to him. I ask him in a brief prayer before I start kind of praying, help me to pray. Give me your spirit to pray within me. Before I do anything else, I need to concentrate. So if, for example, you were going to give the Lord 30 minutes of mental prayer, you want to take a significant time to pause over this really important introduction, maybe five minutes, just focusing yourself on the fact that he is there. And then um, I'll give you a sheet with um, a sample prayer that you can say, but there are many different saints who give examples of prayers that you can memorize to say at the start of your, your mental prayer. Um, the one I use is taken um, from uh, Opus Dei's practice, it says, My Lord and my God, I firmly believe that you are here, that you see me, that you hear me. I adore you with a profound reverence. I ask you for pardon of my sins and grace to make this time of prayer fruitful. My Mother Immaculate, St. Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me. So the first step, focus ourselves, concentrate. Second step, the consideration. So I'm considering some topic today. I apply my understanding to the topic to try and fathom it, whatever thing I'm thinking about. I use my memory to recall it. So, you know, again, if I'm thinking about the crucifixion, I might try and remember bits of good sermons I've heard or bits of this or bits of that or that movie portraying the crucifixion. My memory I engage. And 
particularly if I'm using the Ignatian method, but any method, the imagination too. I try and picture it, imagine something about it that helps it bring the immediacy of the topic to my intellect. I consider it, the consideration. And if I phrase it this way, the aim of this stage of your mental prayer is so that you've got something in the conversation to talk to the Lord about. Yeah, we all know that feeling in a conversation, even with a good friend, where you kind of run out of things to say today. Well, you kind of don't want to be that way with the Lord. You want, I've got something to talk about with him. Well, I've, the consideration is a way of feeding my intellect, my will, my passions, so that there's something for me to be talking to the Lord about. And if you're, in particular, examining in your consideration a gospel scene, uh, there are a number of different questions put to us by the saints, but to think, who is there? Who? What? What are they doing? And why are they doing it? Who? What? Why? Simple way to examine the scene, break it down, give myself something to consider, meditate on. So that stage, the consideration, often in the tradition will be called the meditation. And if I was going to spend five minutes on the concentration, ten minutes on the consideration, this is a significant thing. Um, and even th as I am pondering the thing, considering the thing, that, even though I've not yet called that the conversation, there's an sense in which I can be talking to God even as I'm thinking about it. And then the third step of the method, the real thing it's all about is the conversation. So this, St. Teresa would say, this is mental prayer strictly understood. Mental prayer is nothing else than an intimate friendship, a frequent heart-to-heart -heart conversation with him by whom we know ourselves to be loved. So this is where it's all heading. To directly to be talking to him. Now, a real conversation involves listening, not just you doing all the talking. Yeah. Um, so, in our prayer as well, to call it a conversation doesn't mean I'm doing all the talking. It also needs to have significant moments of being passive, being receptive, trying to listen. I've put myself in his presence, concentrating. I've considered some topic. Now, my conversing with him about it includes listening. Lord, about this thing I'm talking to you about today, what, what do you have to say to me? Then a good way to um, kind of process that conversation. I'm sure many of you will, the um, mnemonic ACTS, A-C-T-S, the ACTS, 
adoration, contrition, thanksgiving, supplication. You remember those four and you remember easily four things to be putting into every prayer, to adore him, to say words of adoration to him. Lord, I praise you. Lord, I adore you. That's part of my conversation. Uh, contrition, to express to him my sorrow, that there's this thing I'm talking to him about today. I'm sorry, Lord, for all the times I know I didn't do this and that and the other that relate to this. Thanksgiving, to thank him for all the things that relate to this, to thank him for dying on the cross, to thank him for what he's taught me about this, to thank him for... Uh, whatever that relates to the thing I'm meditating on. And then supplication, asking God for things. You know, he says, ask and you will receive. So there's something that's my topic of my prayer today. Well, what do I want to ask the Lord to kind of provide for me about this topic? Maybe I want to ask him to give me greater sorrow for my sins. Maybe I want to ask him to make me more aware of this um, thing or whatever that I'm, I'm talking to him about today. Asking you will receive. So petitions, supplication should make up a big part of our mental prayer. And then the last thing to kind of put into this conversation section, um, self-examination. So there's something I'm considering, something I'm talking to the Lord. Examine myself about that. That, Lord, I, I rarely remember to think about you on the cross. Or I know I don't think about you as often as I should on the cross. Or, actually, I know I think about you much more on the cross than I used to do. And, and I'm thankful for that. that an examination isn't necessarily an accusation. It can be examining how we're succeeding in something. But how am I? Examine myself before the Lord on that topic. And then the last part of the method, uh, very unsurprisingly, is called the conclusion. Um, how do I pull everything together before walking away pull everything together in a way that's going to enable this prayer, in a sense, to walk out with me into the rest of my day. Um, well, many of the saints, and talking about method, will say, well, actually, even before you do that, uh, examine yourself before the Lord about your prayer, to say, Lord, my prayer's been a bit distracted today. I've been thinking about the barbecue we're having tomorrow. And yeah, it's been a bit distracted today. Um, examine yourself. Um, or it might be, Lord, today's prayer has been so much better than yesterday's. Um, I've, I've been really able to, to stay still with you. Um, an examination, to repeat myself, isn't just an accusation. It's just before the Lord, how has my prayer been today? Resolutions, so I mentioned these earlier. Um, so St. Vincent de Paul says, the principal fruit of mental prayer, the principal fruit, he says, consists in making a good resolution. 
So if I've come to the Lord's presence, if I've considered something with the Lord, if I've conversed about something with the Lord, then I want that to flow out into my life. I want to make some decisions about how I'm going to live. Resolutions. With that, a number of the saints will make a distinction between a general resolution and a particular resolution. So I've been talking to the Lord, say, about humility today. And so I make, you know, the general resolution, I'm going to be more humble. Yeah, that's not very surprising as a resolution, but it is a decision. I'm going to be more humble. But then a specific resolution. I'm going to be more humble today by being the first one in my house to take out the garbage. Yeah, so a general resolution, be humble, a specific thing, a single simple thing today I'm going to do to flow out of my prayer into my life. And then the last thing, many of the saints will talk about a motto. Um, some will call it a spiritual nosegay, something to keep smelling through the rest of the day. Um, how do you remember what you've talked about in your prayer the rest of the day? Well, sometimes pulling that together into a single phrase that you're then going to be able to remember the rest of the day is another way of making your prayer flow out into your life. So if I've been praying about humility, I might take the scripture verse, Christ was humbler yet. And that simple phrase Try and repeat that to myself during the day. Christ was humbly yet. You know, just some phrase, small enough, memorable enough, that's the thing I'm going to try and repeat myself to myself today, flowing out of my prayer. Okay, um, a last thing here now, a plan of life. Um, many of you may have heard this phrase before. Um, in seminary formation, we talk a lot about the need for the individual men to have a personal plan of life. You know, if you're a monk in a monastery, you have a, what they call a rule of life, that the bell goes at this time and you do that. The bell goes at that time and you do that. Everything's laid out for you. If you're going to be a saint, just do what the rule says. You're not a monk. You don't have a bell ringing for you 57 times. Well, maybe you do in school. I don't know. Um, you need to personally for yourself adopt a plan of how you're going to become a saint. In your day, in your week, what bits of the spiritual tradition are you going to take into your life um, Five elements that, if we're going to ask what the saints recommend to us, what the saints, when they describe, what are the tools to become a saint? Weekday mass, daily rosary, regular confession, daily spiritual reading, and mental prayer. So you want a bit of each of those five in your daily routine, in your weekly routine. And the point I want to make to you today, kind of as a conclusion to where everything I've been talking about is heading, is what I've been talking about might seem too much, might seem too big a thing to be talking about 30 days of mental, 
30 minutes of mental prayer a day. Well, that might be a final goal. Start as a beginner. Start with some bit of mental prayer that you're going to commit yourself to. To five minutes every day I'm going to give to mental prayer. And well, a daily rosary, I've not got that as a practice. I'm not going to try and leap straight to that. A decade once a day or a decade once a week. Weekday Mass, well, maybe to adopt as a beginner one Sunday Mass and one weekday Mass per week. So a plan of life is a thing you want to progressively grow in. To identify these five pillars in the plan of life, start with them in a small enough practice to be workable, to be something you can today commit to, and plan to regularly grow in them. Okay, I'm going to close now with some quotes um, about mental prayer. So St. Teresa says, The person who is fully determined to make a half hour's mental prayer every morning, cost what it may, has already travelled half his journey. So halfway to sanctity, you're already there. So this thing I've been talking about must be pretty important if it's already halfway to being a saint. Another book says, um, this is from the book called The Soul of the Apostolate that many of you might have seen around. Talking about a priest says, a priest is only as good as his mental prayer. And the same can be said of any Christian. How good a person are you? Well, as you are at your mental prayer, that moment of contemplative love, that, that's how good you are in general. Um, so the person I'm in life is the person I'm going to be in prayer. The person I'm in prayer is the person I'm going to be in life. Summarizing what I've been talking about tonight, I've been talking about one of the pivotal tools for growing in holiness. I've said, you know, we want as Christians to love how do we grow in love, this thing, contemplation? Giving a particular time to what Teresa of Avila calls mental prayer every day means our intellect, our will, our passions are contemplating, taking us to God and to the things of God in love.